Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Chris Peters here. It is episode 106 of the podcast, and we've got a great show for you today. One I'm really excited about, a lot to talk about, and we've got one of our all-time favorite guests back on the show. I'll bring him on in just a minute, but it is Brad Schlossman, and we will talk to him shortly about the men's college hockey season. Before we get to that, just really quickly want to remind you, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, leave a kind rating and review. Really does help us get the word out. And also check out flowhockey.tv where we've got a lot of great stuff for you, including the ECHL, SPHL, CCHA, Atlantic Hockey, much, much more junior hockey as well. But we are going to focus on college hockey today. And it is getting down to the nitty gritty. It's the time of year where we start looking at the postseason, where we start looking at the Hobie Baker watch, where we're talking about some of the big news in college hockey. And stay tuned for our last segment because Brad and I are going to get into something uh, pretty big that is potentially on the horizon for college hockey. So you will not want to miss that. That is what we call a tease in the business. But let's not tease this any longer. We're going to go ahead and bring in Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald, the preeminent college hockey insider, the guy that knows all things about all things. And there he is on your screen. Brad Schlossman, welcome back to Talking Hockey Sense for the umpteenth time, I believe. Thanks, Chris. All right. So we are going to get into a little bit. We're coming off of one of the most exciting weekends of college hockey in the entire year. Uh, We had BU versus BC in a number one versus number two showdown. We also had a great game in the NC or great series in the NCHC with Denver taking on North Dakota, which you were at. But I want to talk a little bit about who really is the number one team in the country. Well, Boston College went into last weekend as the number two team by the polls and and also by the pairwise. But they are leaving that weekend as the number one team. They sweep Boston University in the home-and-home series. Big goals scored by some of their big players. A really strong performance from Jacob Fowler. Brad, do you think that the Eagles have proven at this stage of the season that they are the number one team? I think it depends on what week uh, it is. I think it is a rotation. <laughs> yeah, no like uh, We're not going to even need to say what week we're recording this because uh, this week is Boston College week. It feels like there's just been um, a, a rotation of teams that have grabbed the top spot. And that's kind of the way I thought it might be at the start of the year. When I went through my preseason rankings and, and tried to peg who is going to be the top team, One thing I noticed is every single team had question marks. There wasn't one team where you looked at it and said, no, they're just, they're pretty complete. Um, Some teams have answered those question marks and moved up, but I still, when I look at it and I see number one to number 10, I just don't see a lot of difference this year. And so BC right now, uh, I voted them number one in the poll this week. I think they, they deserve that. Uh, that being said, do am I going to guarantee that they're going to be there every week the rest of the year? Uh, no, that just uh, things have ebbed and flowed this year. Yeah, absolutely, it has. And just to kind of give a quick rundown of what the pairwise looks like at the moment, the top ten you've got North Dakota at number two, Boston University at number three, Maine has moved up to number four, Wisconsin at number five, Denver at six, Michigan State at seven, Quinnipiac at eight. Minnesota at nine and Providence at 10. And really, once you kind of start getting down into that seven, eight, nine, 10 range, and you look at the records 
for those teams. And with the exception of Quinnipiac, which has really only had a recent stumble as opposed to the way they played for most of the year, you know, Minnesota being nine and, and kind of, They've had a lot of splits this season. They've had very few weekends where they've swept. You've got a Providence team that has had some pretty ugly losses on their record so far, yet they're still there. And and it, it speaks to what you were talking about. It seems like every week there's a new flavor of the week. There's a new team. Yeah. One team that is is pushing and is trending in the right direction is North Dakota, the team that you cover on a regular basis, a team that I don't necessarily thought think, you know, when I when I was looking at how the season was going to go, that I expected them to be in this range. But here they are. They sweep Denver. And, and Denver's got some ridiculous numbers that we're going to get into a little bit later, um, You know, averaging five goals a game. But North Dakota picks up a huge sweep, You know, big for conference play, big for the pairwise, big for everything. I mean, so as we look at the NCHC, which has typically been one of the, the more complete and competitive conferences, I mean, did, what did we learn from that series that you were able to watch so closely? Well, when I talked about big question marks entering the season for North Dakota, they have eight new defensemen. They didn't return a single defenseman on their team this year. Their top two goalies are gone. So it, it, it'd be hard to sit there and peg them as the number one team preseason just because we just had no idea what they were, what they had. And, you know, all of a sudden – the defensemen seem to be playing pretty well. And you mentioned Denver's scoring, the highest scoring team in college hockey uh, in the last 20 years, averaged 4.54 goals a game. Denver came into last weekend averaging 5.25. So they, they were scoring at incredible rates. They had not been held under three goals in a single game this season. And North Dakota did it on back-to-back -back nights. So they're one of those teams that have answered their question marks. They've been good defensively. They've gotten good goaltending. And I think we all always kind of knew that they had some scoring up front. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously they've answered questions on the back end. And uh, they have now gone 19 consecutive games without losing in regulation. And so to, to be able to put a stretch like that together in college hockey, which is so competitive these days, um, you're doing a lot of things really well on a consistent basis. Not only had they gone so many games without losing in regulation, but also, you know, when you've played so many overtime games as North Dakota has, you're in every game and, and they continue to be. And that's that's where they're at now. Now, they they had to Miami next weekend, which I know is a road trip that you absolutely love. Um, but on top of that, you know, they've got they've got a pretty favorable finish the season, not to say that Colorado College, Minnesota Duluth, Western Western Michigan, or, or Omaha, there's really no such thing as a pushover at this point, but it feels like North Dakota has gone through the toughest part of their schedule. Now, they also still have the NCHC tournament on the horizon as well, but very fascinating nonetheless to see how they have performed so far. So also looking at that, the, the rest of the pairwise, and, and, and really after them, you know, BU, I think, is a team that that kind of came into the season with high expectations. Obviously, a disappointing finish for them this weekend against their arch rival and really with an opportunity to prove something. And, you know, just couldn't close out either of those games, kind of fell apart, um, you know, in, in later situations there. But I think that what we're seeing with, with, uh, with BU 
still is that that's a team that has a lot of the tools that could potentially get them through. But, you know, you look beyond that and you the fact that you've got another Hockey East team, and, and really Maine has been one of the stories of the season. Both you and I thought coming into the year that having the Nadeau brothers on the team was going to be uh, a, a transformative for this program, and it it has been. But I don't think that I thought I know I didn't think that Maine was going to necessarily be a top five team at this stage in the season. They're 16, four and two, eight, three and one in hockey East. They are coming off of a, uh, an idle weekend, but uh, did sweep UMass Lowell in their most recent. And then they head to the, to, to Northeastern, but you know, teams like Maine, like Michigan state teams that have, you know, once proud programs that have fallen on harder times have really made a push. I mean, you know, so it is nice to see some of they're not fresh faces in the in the grand scheme of things, but in the last decade, they certainly are or two decades. They certainly are uh, to see them at this stage. So, I mean, just your thoughts in general on teams like Maine and, and Michigan State that have really kind of pushed themselves to the forefront here. Yeah, it feels like uh, sports can be cyclical sometimes and, and they're coming back. There, there, there are several programs that have made big returns to the scene. Uh, Maine is one of them. Michigan State's another. Wisconsin is another one. You just didn't know exactly how far up. You, you kind of knew Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Maine were coming, I felt, but you just didn't know exactly how far up they get this year. I think all three of them have exceeded where uh, where I thought they'd be. I'm guessing you too. And, and then the, the last one that's been uh, in the mix this year is New Hampshire. And that one I did not see coming at all. I, I might have had New Hampshire at, you know, ninth in Hockey East. And right now, New Hampshire is sitting in the pairwise at 16. They need to jump up a couple spots to get in the NCAA tournament. But um, that's just another program that was a, a traditional uh, power in college hockey that uh, that feels like it's back. And it is great to see. You know, it's great to see those teams that have come back and, and that we've been waiting. You know, we've been waiting for Maine to 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 kind of – to return to form. And it's not for lack of players. They've had, you know, really good players over the years and, you know, Jeremy Swayman and, and guys like that. But, you know, I do also, you, you mentioned Wisconsin and I was going to separate them out because I think what Wisconsin has done this year in year one of Mike Hastings mm -hmm. tenure. Um, I mean, this is a team that is 25 and one mm -hmm. this season, 11, three and zero in the big 10. They are another team that is very difficult to beat. Um, you know, if if you do beat them in regulation, it's typically going to be a tighter game. They did have that one game at Michigan. They they split with Michigan last weekend, which it, basically you can pretty much guarantee that Michigan is going to have one game that's a blowout, either for or against <laughs> them. Um, and and then they had a five-one game and a six-five game against Wisconsin. But let's look back at you know where Wisconsin was a season ago 13 23 and oh and I mean just a team and a program that was looked like it was falling backwards and you you add Mike Hastings who has never had a losing season and will not have one he it's <laughs> basically a mathematical impossibility now that that you know he's not going to have a losing season I, I mean I, I still 
you know, there were there were a lot of things. The transfer portal helped them. They did get they did retain some very important players on this year's team. They showed a lot of of um, you know improvement. But one of the things that has really kind of made their season is that they have some of the best goaltending by numbers this yeah. year of any team, and it's coming from Kyle Kyle McClellan, who you know really as a guy he transferred out of Mercyhurst. To mm-hmm. Wisconsin last season, he had an 883 save percentage. His last season at Mercyhurst, by the way, he had a 932 save percentage, mm-hmm. and the season before that, a 932 save percentage. And now he's at 18 5 and 0, a 930 save percentage. Um, he has a number of shutouts. He has done uh, six shutouts, and kind of i mean like that he's as big a reason as anybody else it seems as that that wisconsin has had the season that they've had yeah at the end of last year he he had a tough start last year and then at the right. end there were a few games he came in and played really well and had huge save performances so you know maybe there were some flashes at the end of last year that wisconsin had to hope that he could carry over to this year and and certainly he has uh, lots of credit obviously goes to Mike Hastings and his staff there for the job they've done. Yeah. I also think you have to acknowledge what uh, Tony Granado did to set the plate for this. Mike Hastings did not come into a situation where he had a four-year rebuilding project to completely revamp his roster. He came into a situation where he had returners like Cruz Lucius. Um, it, it, you know, he had a freshman class with Joe Palotichuk and Quinn Finley and, you know, Whitelaw and, you know, all, you know, all of a sudden he yeah. uh, supplemented yeah. it by bringing in some of his guys from Minnesota state. So th- there were, there, there was a great class he inherited. He had some guys coming back. Um, but also you have to acknowledge the job he did with these guys. So I, I think there's some credit for Tony Granado for setting the table and clearly a lot of credit to Mike Hastings, uh, Todd Knott, Nick Oliver for um, taking the the pieces and getting the best out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, Tony Granado, who, you know, we're thinking of, he's currently in a cancer battle right now. And, you know, I, I've, I've often, you, you watch how he entered and the passion that he entered this program with, and, and obviously as an alum, and it meant a lot to him to be the head coach at Wisconsin. It didn't go well from the coaching standpoint, but you make a great point in that they had pieces and mm-hmm. that, that made a big difference. And also, I think you have to give Tony Granato a ton of credit for, I, cause it's my understanding that, you know, he was very, he was telling players, you know, you, this is where you should be, you know, like this, mm-hmm. you don't, mm-hmm. don't leave just cause I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. and that the class of Tony Granado has never really been in question in terms of, of that kind of thing. And, you know, Wisconsin true to form for a, a Mike Hastings team. It feels like they don't have a single player that's averaging a point per game or better. Um, you know, so this is a very much a team, <coughs> excuse me, a team that is a team, and that they've they've done very well, but it's great to see them back. Um, I did also want to quickly touch on what what's happening in East Lansing and Michigan State, um, because you know really they they had a split last weekend with Minnesota. They had a split the weekend before against Michigan, and I don't know if this is their year, but the fact that we can even view them as a contender, and they are, 
I think the, they have enough to say that they are. And I think they have the goaltending and the decor and, you know, the veteran players to, to be a contending team. But that's, this is another one where it's just like, how did it happen this quickly? And I think, mm-hmm. yes, there were some key transfers. Isaac Howard, Red Savage, some big time recruits, Artem Levshinov, uh, you know, certainly has been a massive one. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more because, um, you know, he's obviously a big time draft prospect, leads the nation at a plus 24, by the way. Um, you know, and then they also have Trey Augustine, who hasn't necessarily been a game saver for them, but he's certainly played well. Um, you know, I think when Adam Nightingale came in there, there was a big expectation that he was going to turn things around quickly. Uh, but this is just, this is ludicrous speed right here in terms of how the Spartans have looked. Yeah, because he had a much bigger uh, rebuilding project than Mike Hastings did. He he yes. really had to uh, bring in a lot more pieces, and and the transfer portal played a huge role. You know, Joey Larson is leading the team in goals and points, and has been a really big pickup. Red Savage, obviously. Uh, you know, you talked about Isaac Howard coming in. Um, you know, Reed Lebster they brought in too. So they they brought in a lot of offense right away through the portal, and then they were able to hit on a couple guys in, in recruiting. Uh, quickly with the new staff. You mentioned Lev Shinov, who's going to be a top draft prospect. And the other one, uh, you know, Trey Augustine was committed to, to Michigan. And it, it almost felt like his switch to Michigan State was the start of the momentum for the Spartans. Um, yeah. When he decided to uh, head to East Lansing, it felt like that was the first time you said, wow, uh, Michigan State got a guy from Michigan. That hasn't happened a lot in the last 10 years. And now all of a sudden, all those other pieces followed and uh, here they are. Yeah, and it's it's been it's been pretty impressive. And and just, you know, we we, you and I have had this discussion as well about Levshinov and what he's done. And I I would say that, you know, we, we both saw Owen Power come in and become a number one pick based on the season that he had, Um, you know, that. Lev Shidov's freshman season versus Owen Power's freshman season is objectively better and is objectively much better um, Mm -hmm. on a number of fronts. And, you know, that's that. The other thing is, too, is you look at the supporting cast around Power at the time, Beneers and Bordalo and um, all those guys that, that were there at the same time. And now you've got this situation with, with Levshinov, who does have a good supporting cast as well, but I mean, he is a play-driving defenseman on a contending team. Uh, pretty remarkable to watch watch what he's done. But uh, moving on, because uh, as much as I love talking about uh, the resurgent teams, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, and anytime you've been on, is 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 college hockey expansion, and we've seen teams, you know. Augustana just opened a brand new building. I think that they have actually kind of set the standard for, you know, how you, I mean, Penn state probably set the real standard, but they had a lot yeah. more money uh, to, to show how to do it. Um, but Augustana, I, I, they came in with basically a plan. Um, they hired the coach first, then they put the team together. Then they got the building. Then they got, you know, and 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 they they got into a conference. I think that that's big. 
But then there have been other programs that have kind of come along quickly. We have our Lindenwoods, LIU, and the team that I'm not sure that a lot of the country realizes is a Division One hockey team at the moment. But but Stonehill College is currently a Division One hockey team. Um, they kind are of. 025. Well, yeah, kind of right. <laughs> but they're 0, 025 and 0. They have not won a game this year. Their average margin of defeat is over five, I believe, or at least last I looked, it was over four goals differential. Uh, so their their average margin of defeat is is pretty pretty rough. One of their losses this year was to a Division three school. They have two more Division three schools left on their schedule. Um, looking back at the NCAA record books, I believe uh, if you throw away the D3 loss from their overall record, though I think that would technically count as an NCAA loss, um, is 0-25-0, which would basically match the worst losing streak in the modern era of, of college hockey in a single season. There are some that are longer that lasted over a, a, an additional season. Um, but the that is the one thing when we when we are starting to talk about college hockey expansion and different things like that, that's the one where I'm just like I, I don't think yeah. that Stonehill is the is the is like, hey, no, you shouldn't expand, but very clearly there are some things that maybe should be left undone at this point. Um yeah. yeah. And you're actually being nice because you forgot they they also lost a second division three game. So they were actually 0-26 <laughs> right now. Um, one okay. of those got lost in the shuffle. But if you go to their uh, schedule page on their website, you will see that there are actually two division three losses in there. There you go. They lost yeah. four to two to Anna Maria and they lost seven to two to Utica College. Um, another team that would well, like to. Well, Utica's a very good. Utica's one Correct. of the great. D three programs, but still you're a division one hockey program. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, you know, colleges just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Um, and I yeah. feel like this is certainly one of those cases where that's that, but I, I, I mean, I am a sucker for historic ineptitude. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's not, it's not, I don't like making fun of them. It's just like, how does this happen? I once wrote a long yeah. story when I was at ESPN about a one and forty-six pro hockey team that was, you know, basically the worst pro hockey team in the history of pro hockey. But really, like Stonehill, like legitimately has a chance to be the worst Division One hockey team in the history of men's college hockey. It's on it, the pace for that right now. Yeah, the, the problems actually started like a, a year earlier. They were a D1 team, but they didn't schedule like any D1 games. And, you know, the NCAA committee had to come back and say, actually, these don't count for the pairwise anymore. Like they don't, you know, they had played, you know, I want to say like LIU or maybe London. It, it, they just had hardly, they didn't even have a D1 schedule when they were supposedly right. D1. And, and um, you know, I, I realize it is really, really hard to start a program. And there no are a question. lot of challenges to go through, but I think you make a very good point that there are different ways to set your program up for success and to, you know, set it up for failure. And, uh, you know, I feel that, um, you know, administration wise, 
the Stonehill, the, the people at Stonehill set up the men's hockey program for failure. And um, the people at Augustana set their program up for success. And, and Augustana's yeah. athletic director spent a, lo- a long time at North Dakota, Josh Morton. He's a former uh, North Dakota quarterback of the football team. So he probably had a really good idea of the different things it takes in the college hockey world and, and just did a tremendous job. He, you know, got the building, which is really difficult, got a, a really accomplished head coach. And um, obviously the Vikings are, are doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and they've, they've been in way more games than I think anybody anticipated that mm-hmm. would be in this year and have had some big wins um, and just had their, you know, just opened their new building. You were able to see that on, uh, on flow hockey. So watch more, more games from the, their new Midco Arena, um, you know, and I think that'll be uh, important. But uh, we spent a little more, bit more time on on that stuff. I did want to talk a bit about the Hobie Baker race because to me it is fascinating. And Brad, um, you know, I want to kick this off. I want to turn it over to you because obviously, you know, I've I've been off. I've been doing the World Juniors, different things like that. You've been right in the thick of it. You've been on it, and I would love to know because I think there's a ton of candidates. But I would love to know. It, who is your Hobie Baker front runner right now? I cannot wait to hear. I we I told him not to tell me until the show. I want yeah. my honest reaction here. Yeah. So I've uh, you know probably my mind has changed recently, and I think at this point in the season the front runner is Rucker McGrory. Whoa! Um, a little bit off the off the map. Okay. Uh, okay. The, I am looking at a few things. Number one, McGrory was injured for a little bit, so his totals are a little bit lower. But if you look at points per game, he is the clear front runner in the country. Yep. The the second thing I, I go to look at, they, they've played some bad teams. They've played Stonehill. Um, you know, they might have played Lindenwood, I think. And so my other yep. question was, is he just racking up points against Stonehill? Because if he is not interested, um, th- he did have points against them, but that has not been the case. They just played Michigan State, and I believe he had an eight-point weekend against Michigan State. Um, yeah. If you look yeah. at some of the other um, uh, weekends that McGrory's had this season against really good teams, early in the year they played Providence, and he had a five-point weekend. At, at UMass, and he had a four-point weekend. Um, in, in the last two weekends against a really good Wisconsin team that defends well, he had three points. So to me, when I look at his points per game and what he did it against, uh, who he did it against, and the fact that there's still a runway left here, I think he is my odds-on favorite right now. My one um, uh, drawback, I think, is Michigan's below 500 in the big 10 and is the Hobie Baker winner going to be someone uh, a team that could potentially finish fifth in the, you know, somewhere around there in the big 10. I don't know. But uh, when I just look at individual numbers and everything, I think he's got a really good chance um, to come out on top at the end of this thing. Yeah. I mean, and and also you look at, at their record when he was out, luckily for Michigan, the way they set their schedule up, they, they basically take almost a month off or did take over Mm -hmm. a month off this year for the, for the world junior. So they have a bit of a backloaded schedule. Um, But 
in McGrory in the, in some of those, like the game right after he got injured, I believe, you know, they went on to lose, um, you know, tied at St. Cloud, lost to Notre Dame, split with Notre Dame that, that time. And then he was able to come back. But the other thing about McGrory that is interesting to me, um, you know, is that he's played five fewer games than his next closest teammate yet still leads the team in scoring. Um, and, and, you know, with 34 points and yeah, as you mentioned, the nation's scoring leader with 1.79 points per game. So you told me I would be surprised. I am surprised. I thought you were going to go even further off the beaten path though, because I actually had McGrody on my list of guys that I wanted to talk to about, to you about, about guys that should be in there. Now, I also want to talk about a very interesting situation because we talked about how much Denver has scored this year. They have the two mm-hmm. leading scorers in the nation, Massimo Rizzo with 42 points, Jack Devine with 40 points, 21 goals leading in the nation. However, you and I have recently had this discussion, and I wanted to bring it to the podcast. They're the two leading scorers on, on their team in the nation. Are they the best Hobie Baker candidates on their own team? And I yeah. believe I know how you would how you would go in this one. What say you, Brad Schlossman? Yeah, uh, the freshman defenseman Zeev Buyam is having just an incredible season, and, and I think he's almost overlooked because of Divine and Rizzo. It ha- if he plays on another team and has those numbers, I wonder if he would be getting more uh, publicity. Uh, he's you know, but what what he and Levshinov are doing as um, at their ages, I, I just don't know the last time we've seen that from a college defenseman. I mean, they are just having really prolific years. Um, yeah. To me, the really big story from the Hobie Baker is there, there are a lot of guys on the same teams that are going to be candidates. And usually you kind of parse one or two out. But here's the problem. Right now, if things stand the way they are, the leader in points is Massimo Rizzo. You have to have the national scoring leader in the top 10. The leader in yes. goals is Jack Devine. You have to have the national goal leader in the top 10, especially if they're in the NCHC. Yeah. The leader in D-man scoring is Zeev Buyam. Have to have him in. He's also tied with Seamus Casey. You have to have Seamus Casey in if he's tied for the D-man lead in scoring. Um, yeah. You know, I just said Rucker McGordy, who's on his team. And then you go and look at BU and – you know, how do you not have Macklin Celebrini and Lane Hudson both in there? And now all right. of a sudden we're almost at 10. And, and now, you you know, you got Cutter Goche, you've got Will Smith, you've got uh, Gabe Perot. Which of those three gets on there? Um, right. You know, Jackson Blake is fifth in scoring. Uh, Luke Granger's fourth. We didn't even mention the Nadeaus. And now all of a sudden the other problem is we are very conference heavy. A lot of times they like putting in the best players in each conference. So does Sam Morton get in, having a great season for Minnesota State. Does Chris Hedden get in from Air Force? He's he's putting up crazy numbers, and he probably will be the MVP in Atlantic hockey. Um, You know, there's going to be some serious omissions this year. We haven't even mentioned a goalie. Um, right, I, right. And you could it, say McClellan is belongs in that discussion, you know, like that we yeah, talked about from Wisconsin. Exactly. I mean, and it is. Yeah. And and so and that's the thing where I I truly feel like we don't have a clear cut Hobie front runner. 
Yeah. We don't have, you know, I because I mean I I watched the BC series against BU and I saw a number of players on both teams that look like they belong in the conversation. I think Cutter Gauthier still has a chance to get to the, the national goal scoring lead away from Jack Devine. He keeps scoring big goals. You've got, you know, and then just to go back to the Zeev Bouillon point real quick, you know, when was the last time we saw a player score at his age, a U19 defenseman mm-hmm. with at least 20 games played in a season? If you look at that, he has the fifth highest points per game average for a player of his age as a, as a, as a draft, uh, as a U19 defenseman in college hockey, 1.38. That's ahead of Brian Leach. That's ahead of Lane Hudson last year, who was draft plus one. You you know, the guys that are ahead of him in terms of points per game all played in the 70s and 80s. So in the in in the modern era of college hockey, Zeev Booyam is by far ahead because Lane Hudson averaged 1.23 points per game last year in a season where I thought he should have been a Hobie finalist among the yep. a Hobie hat trick finalist based on his season. And this year, you've got Zeb Booyam at 1.38 points per game, 33 points in 24 games. Um, you know, the, the all-time record for points in a season by a U19 defenseman in the NCAA was by Craig Redmond uh, at, at Denver. He was actually 17 at the time, had 54 points in 34 games. And so, you know, Booyam and Denver, they're going to have to go on a bit of a run for him to challenge that, but he's within shouting distance now. Um, which is kind of crazy. So that's 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 the insanity of that. And then you have two of his teammates who are the only two players with forty plus mm-hmm. points in the in the country right now on a team that is averaging historic high goal rates without necessarily playing a schedule a, a week schedule. You know, Denver has not yeah. played a, a, an overtly weak schedule. They've played and they play in one of the toughest conferences. So I mean, it's it is fascinating to watch this play out. Um, you know, and 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 the other thing is too is like you know watching even the BU lose to BC, it's hard not to watch every single BU game and see Macklin Celebrini doing positive things yeah. every shift, mm-hmm. every shift. Yeah, I mean it is he is so far and away the number one draft prospect right now, and that doesn't make you mm-hmm. the Hobie Baker candidate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, missing some time for the World Juniors and other things like that kind of kind of hinders your point projection. I think. The, the bar has been set by Jack Eichel and by Adam Fantilli, and the, the bar was obliterated by Paul Correa many, many years ago. But that's what he's going to probably have to do. So it's looking less and less likely that Macklin Celebrini will be the Hobie Baker winner, necessarily, unless he explodes and BU has has a big season uh, going forward. Because I think, you know, a deep run and, and team success matters a lot. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Rizzo, who potentially could have turned pro and came back. Those guys get a lot of extra love. We've seen that happen time and time again, where the upperclassman gets it. But you're right. There are so many more players than that. And so it's pretty fascinating to see where that all goes. Yeah. Um, the, the other right, guy so, I want to make yeah, sure I mention is, uh, uh, yes. I, I forgot to mention Colin Graff at Quinnipiac. Um, he, he will, yeah, he will yeah. be a top 10 finalist. Um, I think he has an uphill battle to win because his production in, against the top teams hasn't been there like some of the other guys. But he right. will be a top uh, he will be a top ten finalist, almost a lock. So I didn't want to forget yep. uh, the ECAC guy. I'm he, glad. he is um, he is going to be in yeah. there, and um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. And I think you make uh, one good point: is that 
because it's so wide open right now, the last two months are probably any one of these guys could win it. Any one of these guys we mentioned yep. still has yep. the leeway to win it because nobody is pulled away. Right. Exactly. Right. And yeah, I mean, at one point, Colin Graff, who, who did miss some time with injury as well this year, mm-hmm. was averaging over two points a game. He's it, his production has slowed, but you also think about a guy that's coming off of well, also the season that he had last year to see you that he is really not missed a beat. All right. So, that's kind of the season to date, but one of the big topics that I wanted to leave till the end, and I know I teased it, but this is this is big. I mean, this is this is potentially massive. Now, nothing that we're about to talk about is uh, confirmed, is imminent, is absolutely going to happen. However, it's important to talk about. So, if I know that you've heard this. I have heard this. I've had many people come to me and ask me about this um, inside the game. And that is the discussions are starting to take place within college hockey, within the NHL, within the CHL about the, the potential eligibility of CHL players, Canadian Hockey League, major junior players being eligible to play NCAA hockey. As of right now, Within the rule book, they are not allowed to play in the NCAA. They are not eligible. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the primary reasons is that the CHL does have players on professional contracts, which doesn't necessarily mean that the the uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know everybody that's in that league is a professional. But there are enough instances and precedents being set now. That and and also that we're talking about this in the era of the NIL of the transfer portal of all of these new things that have kind of happened in college hockey, and one of the big things is that you know at some point should someone legally challenge the the barring of CHL players that aren't on professional contracts, um, that 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 more than likely does not hold up very well in a court of law, and so. This is an interesting dynamic. This has the potential to really alter the ecosystem of not just college hockey, but the entire sport. You think about the fact that there has always been this split. You're either going the NCAA route or you're going the CHL route. Now what if you have a chance to do both? <laughs> that That's what we're talking about. Um, as I mentioned, this is not imminent. There is not a, there, there's a process in place, and Brad, I'll let you – chime in on that a little bit in terms of where things stand. But, but this, these conversations are, are as serious as they've ever been right now. So I, I, you know, just from a, just from a procedural standpoint, Brad, before we kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of, of what this could ultimately mean, you know, what are some of the steps that are going to need to happen for this to kind of come to fruition if it is to come to fruition? And we do both think it probably will at some point. Yeah, that's something that's on my uh, my to-do list next week when North Dakota has a bias to, to hammer down the procedure. I do know that if the coaches really wanted this, I, I think they could get rid of it tomorrow um, or essentially mm. this summer. Um, if, if the coaches were saying, let's open it up and it's, it's all unanimous and they would uh, try to for, uh, push that through, I think it could happen. Um, the coaches I've talked to are not really in support of it. I do think you make a good point that if someone challenges it, it's going to be very confusing to explain to um, 
you know, a, a judge why a kid who plays in a European league with a bunch of pros but hasn't signed a pro deal, um, he's eligible for college. Um, why a USHL kid who could potentially play with a pro um, is, uh, you know, eligible, but a CHL kid isn't. I, I think that's going to be an, an issue. So uh, I, I don't think uh, right now there's nothing imminent. Um, it is worth watching for sure. Um, and yeah, like you said, if it goes through, it completely changes the uh, development path in the hockey world, I think. Yeah, and and also kind of on the procedural side of things too, a few things to point out. The NHL <clears throat> will be involved in these discussions. Um, you know, they can't force the NCAA to do anything, but they are going to have a say in how this ultimately plays out. Um, they will get a lot of input. It also, this also has potential repercussions for not just the CHL, but all of the junior A leagues, the USHL, mm -hmm. um, you know, leagues that, that are outside of like the BCHL is currently outside of the Hockey Canada umbrella. The CJHL is within the Hockey Canada umbrella. You know, there are a lot of other things too, in terms of how players are transferred between the United States and, and, um, and Canada, mm -hmm. uh, which is another process that plays out within the junior sphere. You, you have to be each, each federation has to approve your transfer to their jurisdiction. Essentially. Um, that's not necessarily the case in college hockey because the NCAA operates on its own governance, but at the same time, um, there, there are a lot of things that will happen. So the NHL is going to have a say in this. Now, one of the things that Brad and I have been talking about is how let's, as we said, this is not happening yet. But if this is going to happen, Brad, you and I, I believe, have different different views of how mm -hmm. this will look ultimately and who this will impact positively and negatively. Mm -hmm. um, but so let's say they open it up. What is your expectation for, you know, what kind of CHL player is coming in? Is it the player that is coming you know, that is currently choosing U sports. That's another element that would be impacted by this decision. Canadian U sports, mm -hmm. where most CHL players go um, after their career is over and they do not have a pro contract or decide not to pursue pro hockey. Um, so there is it those players or, and then also, you know, who, who is going to the CHL versus the other options as well. I think that's the other thing that's kind of on the table here too. So just your general thoughts on that from the player standpoint. Yeah. And I know a lot of coaches will disagree with me because I've had conversations with a lot of these coaches and they disagree with me. I, I think all those players are coming to college. I think the CHL becomes a little bit of what the USHL is and it, it feeds NCAA division one for the players who want to, uh, there, there are some players who going to college and academics is just not what they want to do. But I think the majority of these uh, top players, these first round draft picks are all going to go to college. And I, I think the reason why is I, for, for, I have se several reasons, but developmentally, um, a lot of these top players will have played junior hockey for two years and they are ready for the next challenge. They don't, they do not need to be, uh, putting up 
two points a game against uh, 16-year-olds. You know, I think a lot of these uh, players are ready for the next thing. They've been there and done that in junior hockey. Uh, I think the lifestyle of college versus juniors is completely different. And I don't think a lot of people would choose junior hockey over college when they are presented with that. I think the facilities in college uh, are exceptional for development. I think the fact that you can chip away at an education while you're there uh, is something that will be attractive for families. And you also provide yourself a longer runway. Um, when, when you look at some of these guys who are even drafted late in the first round, a lot of these guys play through their junior year and, and then they're ready to go. Um, you kind of work on a, a, a different timeline um, and it can, whatever suits you, you can do. So I just think that it's a, a better model, uh, not only for development, but for lifestyle. And I think a lot of these kids, after doing two years of junior, they're going to be ready for the next thing. And uh, I, I think college offers a really um, attractive product. And I think the majority of these kids, uh, after they get drafted and after they graduate, are going to say, you know what, I'm going to go play college for, for two years. And, you know, uh, the one thing that, you know, you keep looking at guys like Shane Wright and he's stuck in no man's land. And the guy Seattle drafted before was Matty Beneers. He went to college for two years. Boom, he's in the NHL, wins rookie of the year. I think the Seattle Kraken, Shane Wright himself, his family, his advisors would all love if he was a sophomore in college hockey right now. And that's, uh, I guess that's my, my rant there and why I think all these guys are going to end up in college. And let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> no, like here's, here's, here's the thing. Like, I think that you make a lot of valid points. I I've often viewed as, as college as that kind of secondary step where it is above junior hockey because you're playing against older competition. Um, you know, the schedule is a little different. It's less of a pro schedule, but it is still a very demanding. Each game is demanding. You're playing against really well coached teams. You're playing against structure. You're playing against more experienced players. So there's there's certainly developmental benefits to that. What I think, however, is, is I think that the NHL, the CHL, the, the NCAA at some point are going to have to get together and figure out exactly how this ecosystem is going to work. And if we are going based on history, I believe that the NHL still will, as they have for many years, protect the competitive integrity of the CHL above trying to aid college athletics. And the reason for that is basically that's what they're already doing. They've done it. You know, you can't go into the the AHL until you're 19 years old. Now, that is a, a league where many of the teams are owned by NHL franchises. They have a and, – and I'll tell you what. These young players are often some of the biggest stars that they have, the biggest commodity, the biggest attraction to sell tickets at that level because they're recently drafted. They've been in the news. They've had all that that hype around them. All of your NHL fans are going to want to have more interest in your AHL team if those players are there. And yet the NHL still says, we feel it is important for these players to go back to the CHL because if they're there, it helps everybody's development. It's already a very young league. I don't think they're in any rush or interest to make it younger. 
Um, and so I do think that the, the other thing that I think that we underestimate is just how much control NHL teams want to have. And they really do love that. That's the big thing they want. So like the thing is, is okay. CHL players would be eligible, but if Shane Wright signed his NHL contract at 18, he's not eligible for college hockey anymore. Mm -hmm. He's not going to retain that eligibility. And those teams are going to say, Hey, you know, we, and Seattle did this. They, Hey, we think Shane Wright might be ready for the NHL. So we want to give them that opportunity. Well, all of a sudden that college option is now off the table forever. Um, and maybe you're, and, and maybe there will be opportunities where teams say, Hey, you know, like we want you to go to college. We want you to, to take that time. And that would be interesting. I just don't see it happening as regularly. Um, you know, if the player has a preference, that'll be interesting. I still think the way that this is going to work out, the players are going to continue to have similar preferences. There are a lot of guys that, you know, like Will Smith did not grow up dreaming about playing in the QMJHL. He dreamed about playing it for Boston College. So he's going to go to Boston College. You yeah. know, you're not going to lose those kids. I also think this will be a significant this, – if this goes through, this is probably going to hurt the QMJHL uh, as much as it helps the OHL and the WHL and the amount of American players that they would be able to attract to those leagues. Um, the QMJHL just has a lot of different barriers, language being one of them, um, to attracting that the, the American talent to those those markets. But that's that's where I I feel like you know NHL teams still they they want that control. They have a financial interest in continuing to support the CHL. They, but yeah, I mean it, it's not it's not quite that simple. But one of the things I heard, Brad, and I don't know, I don't, th I don't know if you've heard this either, but one of the things that you know, and I don't even know how this would work because it just uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem like you know the NCAA would say, yeah, let's do that, where the NHL would and, and the CHL would basically say, you know, you can go to college, but not until you're 19, and then if that does happen, then you will lose the top end players, you will lose the best players, and it yeah. makes me wonder, does a you know that's that's the thing that I think will be interesting to see. And I just don't see any way that's happening. I mean, that that is a that is the view of like a, a hockey people. And you have to remember the NCAA does not want to keep losing lawsuits. They, they, they do not want to say, well, how who are we to prevent someone from coming to college at age 19? Mm -hmm. Do you think that yeah. they, they could care less about the NHL? Um, they're going to lose more Agreed. lawsuits if they do that. I just don't see that as a viable option. Um you know, the, there are different proposals that I've heard being talked about, but um, yeah, I, I just don't think that is in, in any sort of uh, in play. I, I think the NCAA is not going to uh, go the direction of closing more doors. It is going to go in the direction of opening more doors uh, as it has. The question is exactly where does the line end up um, with, with some of these things? Yeah. 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 No, I think that's right. Cause I, I also think that's true too with the NCAA saying, Hey, like, you know, we're not going to sign on to that kind of transfer agreement. We're not going to, you know, like they don't have any, they don't, there's no structure for something like that at this point, they could work it into the rules, but I don't see why they would do that. So just for the reasons that you just mentioned, especially with the, the lawsuit angle being one of them, the, the thing that I, the thing that I have concerns about with this, and it's not, like, you know, basically, I think players should have the freedom of choice and the ability to go to where they feel is best for their development. Um, you know, 
the the interesting scenario is is will how will this impact the junior A landscape as well or the tier one junior landscape in terms of you know will the USHL lose players to the OHL and WHL that they aren't currently losing you know do you guys um, you know like there then there are players like that make the choice like Owen Power always wanted to go to school like that he always wanted to go to school that was what he wanted to do. It was very important to his family to, to to focus on school. You know, Adam Fantilli was one of those guys that was kind of on the fence. He could have gone either way. Um, decided, you know, hey, this is the best opportunity to play with my brother, best opportunity for me to continue to develop. Everything worked out. He got he went there. And that's that those players can still make those decisions. But the question is, is some of those guys at for the reasons they mentioned, wait, I don't have to go to school when I'm 18. I don't have to try to keep my grades up. There are going to be, there are players like that that will be like, oh, well, I could just focus on nothing but hockey in my 18 and 19 year old seasons, and that's it. Um, you know, so I do think that those still, those, those kinds of players exist. I will be fascinated to see how this discussion progresses because, as you and I both know, we both, we both have said it, the, the coaching fraternity at this point is very on the fence about this for the, re, for the concerns that I, said, hey, I think this will actually cost you players. You think it could actually gain you players. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be the real debate here on the college side of things and and also on the CHL side of things because this would be a dramatic change to their infrastructure as well. To And, and, and as I mentioned too, Canadian university sport has a lot to think about here too. Um, what, I, the, what I'll close on though is just – this is probably happening. Like, I, I think it might not be this year. It might not be next year. But something like this is going to happen. Um, we have seen the worm turn on all this other stuff with NIL, Transfer Portal, you know, uh, the, the the different packages that players are able to get now. I mean, we've got players with Chipotle deals. we got players with equipment <laughs> deals and stuff like that now in the NCAA. Um you know, so the 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 myth of of amateurism has has really gone away in this era of the NIL and everything else. So now it just seems like this is the natural progression. It was going to go this way eventually. Whether it's a good or a bad thing remains to be seen. Um, I just hope that you know what what we want is a good hockey product at all of these levels. We want we want all of them to survive basically because that is kind of how it's existed but but brad i i mean you know i i will i will let you if there's anything else you want to tell me that i'm wrong about that you think i'm just completely off on please go ahead yeah i mean i i think number one i i agree that at some point it's going to happen i don't know when it is but i just think that at some point whether the the coaches decide to go for it or whether someone challenges it in the courts, it's going to happen. Uh, number two, you're spot on teams love control their prospects. And, and that's a big reason why they sign them. I think that is true. I think there are players up in Canada who are from, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe from Moose Jaw and they just want to stay and play at home. And that's, that's going to happen that they, you know, want to play closer to home. A lot of the players love playing close to home. Um, but I think that given this opportunity, you are just going to see a lot more guys who jumped to the CHL at a young age 
open up a new door that they didn't think was going to exist. And uh, agents uh, are going to uh, see the advantage of uh, going to college. I think the infrastructure is better, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think hockey, I think life-wise, and I think, you know, the opportunities there are to um, seek out Alston money, uh, free education, and, uh, you know, all these other things that go along with it. I just think it's a, a, a better package. And, you know, I cover North Dakota here. And I, I just think of how many players are up in the CHL right now. Could North Dakota bring on a visit and get to commit to come to North Dakota tomorrow? Yeah. But it's a pretty high. Yeah. It's, so, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, I think you're, I think you're right. Like it is fascinating. Like if this choice exists, how many mm-hmm. players say, I want to see what life is like on the other side, you know, Correct. and there's already so much player movement. There's already so much mm-hmm. player movement right now. And even at the junior A level, we're seeing guys, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the BCHL or I'm going to go to the USHL or I'm going to go, you know, to the AJ. Yeah. Like we've seen that happen a lot. So, so, you know, my hope is that whatever comes out of this, it's, it's something that is in the best interest of the players that is in mm-hmm. that, that gives them more developmental opportunities that doesn't put a lot of offenses up. But I think the early stages of this could be very messy. Um, and could be very complicated, um, and it'll take time. Everything is when 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 change happens. That's usually yep. when the mess comes. But you know, I think the fact that we are having this very serious conversation about the fact that this is like we're talking about a transcendent moment in the hockey in everything beneath the NHL. <coughs> Excuse me, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. Well, we've always done it this way. And this is going to bring a dramatic shift to that, however it happens. And I do think there will be winners and losers in this. That's the other thing I do want to say. Like, I do think that there are going to be players, teams, leagues that suffer in the new landscape. But as Billy Bean once said in Moneyball, which was on TV last night, and I happened to watch it, adapt or die. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to say. And that's going to be the basically the end of the podcast brad i'd love for you to just plug quickly uh what you've got coming up so we can make sure that you are that that you know you're you're one of the best in the business if not the best in the business and also north dakota sports writer of the year congratulations on that my friend uh well deserved well earned um but you know uh what what what's coming up for you what's exciting on your horizon and certainly what 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 should college hockey fans expect from you the rest of the season well, I think uh, what we just talked about, I, I want to get into that. I want to write a little bit about that, what the process is, what people think about it. Um, I agree there will be winners and losers. Uh, if I were in the mix, I would want to be in college hockey spot. Um, number two, I, I just wrote about NCAA regionals and why I think they should be going back to campus sites uh, for um, you know top eight hosting bottom eight, another round with the top four hosting the bottom four leading into the frozen four. Uh, maybe check that out, grandforksherald.com, um, Google regionals, um, and give me your thoughts. I want to hear what other people think about that too. There's a lot of uh, potential change in the NCAA right now, and uh, I'll be trying to cover all of it uh, as it comes. Yeah, no kidding. And and we're lucky that you are on top of it because we will better understand it because of that. And uh, I agree. And I'm also team uh, home regional home regionals right now because I uh, 
I think we need we need to bring environment to uh, to college hockey's most important time of the year, and uh, competitive balance I think will not suffer as much as maybe the coaches think it will. But 100%. that's that you you think we don't like change. Those guys really don't like change. So uh, good luck getting them to move. It's like an iceberg situation. But but Brad, yeah. can't thank you enough for joining the show this week. It's always such a pleasure to have you on. It is uh it's been it's been many uh many years now where we've we've had you on and, and I always feel like these are some of our best uh our best episodes and the and the fans get a get a good good explanation. We will continue our debates about the NCAA and CHL and everything else in between. Uh, coming up but brad thanks again for for joining us on on talking hockey sense this week Uh, always a pleasure to have you thanks a lot chris all right well that is brad schlossman of the grand forks herald you can follow him on twitter and make sure that you are reading all of his great stuff over at the grand forks herald Um, you can also uh, uh, catch him on the podcast too from college hockey inc uh, college hockey today which always covers uh what's happening in the country as well. Uh, For those of you that are college hockey fans, we have our college hockey power rankings every single week on flowhockey.tv written by yours truly. Uh, I did have BC as number one last week, and then you better believe they're going to be there again this week as a spoiler alert. But that is what we'll have. And also make sure you are subscribed to Flow Hockey so you can get a lot of great live hockey, including the USHL, BCHL, AJHL, uh, OJHL, the entire CJHL, a uh, lot of HLs. We got them. We got so many of them. So you make sure that you get to all of it. Uh, it is that critical time of year when the hockey gets uh, more intense and more exciting. So make sure you do that. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, please leave a kind rating and review for this podcast on your audio app of choice. You can also catch us on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv or via the Flow Sports app. Follow us however you want to. Huge thanks to Brad for coming on today. Great, uh, great to have him. Also, big thanks to Josh for producing today's show, first timer, and we appreciate his efforts as well. And of course, to all of you for watching Talking Hockey Sense or listening to it, however you enjoy it. It's been great to bring this one to you. Hope you guys will come back next time. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll see you soon. 